Thank you, Jamie. I was sitting there thinking through the service this morning. What would we do if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, actually came and sat down right beside us? I mean, right now. What would we do if he would just move in, sit down beside you, and give you his full attention? Would Would you say anything to him? Would you ask him anything? Would you complain about something that's not being done? Or what, what, would you, what would you say to him? Well, Jesus is with you now. Jesus, you have his undivided, undivided attention, brothers and sisters. So we're going to take a moment and just bow in his presence. And when we pray, you tell him what you want to tell him right now. Lord, we're in your presence. You said, Jesus, that you will be with us always. And that includes right now in this service on August 12th or 15th, whatever it is. Thank God you know what day it is. So, Lord, as we, as we bow before you, this is what we want to say to you. Go ahead, tell him. Tell him what you want to say to him right now. Father, we praise you. Now, Father, you have our undivided attention. Speak to our hearts. Jesus' name, amen. I just wanted to mention that that I feel led next week to uh, preach a sermon about healing. And at the end of the service, we will have opportunity for whoever wants to be anointed with oil to come forward. And we will spend a lot of time next next Sunday doing that. So I just want you to, to know that so you can prepare for that if you would like to come and be healed or prayed for healing. We're going to do that next week. Then on the 29th, we have our friend day. Um, I'd like you, I'm just asking that, that you'd prove to me that you have friends. Just bring one or two or a family. Um, I worry about you folks. Some of you come to this church by yourself ever since I've been here. I worry about you. I wonder if you even have any friends. So prove it next or on the 29th. And then invite them to stay for lunch out here. We're going to have fun time. Wear casual stuff. I know somebody will write on their card, but I'm going to be casual that Sunday. I'm ready for your, your, your comments on the cards. Let me have it. But I'm going to be wearing something casual on that Sunday. Casualer, I should say. And invite them to stay for lunch, and um, we'll have a good time together as we celebrate what God is doing in us and through us as the body of Christ. Speaking of the body of Christ, we've been asking the question for the past two Sundays, what does it mean to be part of the body of Christ? Two weeks ago, we asked Jesus, Jesus, what does it mean to you for us to be part of the body of Christ? And Jesus led us 
to Matthew chapter 22 and quoted for us the great commandment. Jesus says, it means to me, when you ask me what it means to be in the body of Christ, it means to me that you love God with all your heart. Period. End of discussion. That's what it means. A group of people gathered together on purpose, encountering God, seeking God, loving God so much that we love Him with all of our hearts. And then Jesus said, when you love God with all your hearts, that love will motivate you to serve and love each other. So for Jesus, being part of the body of Christ is loving one another. Loving God, loving one another. You know, what would, what would happen in our world if loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength became the top, top priority for every Christ follower on the planet? What, what do you think would happen? I believe our world would be a different place. What would happen around here, if you'll let me go so far as to ask this question, what would happen around here if all of us had the top priority, all of us, no matter how young or old or in between we are, all of us had that, the top priority to love God with all of our hearts. And every day we would strain toward Him with all of our hearts, everything we had, loving God with all of our hearts. What would that look like around here? Anybody have any idea? A body of Christ loving God with all our hearts. And that moving through us to help us to love and serve each other. Last week we asked Luke, what does it mean to you, Luke, to be part of the body of Christ? Luke took us to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and gave us a snapshot of that first century church, those Christ followers in the first century. He showed us what they did, how they lived their lives on a day-to-day basis. And he said in a practical way what it meant to them to live in the body of Christ or be part of the body of Christ was that they shared their stuff. Real practical. They shared their stuff. He said no one had need. They shared with everyone as they had need. He said they shared their time. They met together in the temple courts every day talking about God. And how they could get closer to God. What it meant to serve God. How it looked like to walk with God. Help us. They asked each other to help them out. They shared their time. Luke said they also shared their faith. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, did you hear that? The Lord added to their number as they shared their faith. That's what the, the body of Christ looked like in the first century, according to Luke. Well, this Sunday, we're going to ask the Apostle Paul. Paul, what does it mean for you when we ask the question, what does it mean mean to be part of the body of Christ? And for us this morning, Paul is directing us to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You turn there with me, if you will. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, if you'll let me say this, um, you know, whenever I say that, no one's ever stood up and said, No, Pastor Chuck, we're not going to let you say that. I don't even know why I say that. Anyway, but let me say this. (laughs) This passage in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16, is a pregnant passage. There is all kinds of stuff in there. It's full. But we're going to focus today on what 
Paul seems to think it means to be part of the body of Christ. There's a whole lot of other stuff in there, but that's what we're going to focus on today. Follow along as I read Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Moving over to verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forced by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is, Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Tell us, Paul... What does it mean to you to be part of the body of Christ? And immediately Paul blurts out one word. It means unity. It means unity. Being part of the body of Christ is all about unity. Look again at verses 3 through 6. Make every effort. Do something about it. Go out there and work at it. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. And in Texas we would say, in y'all. Paul, what's it mean to be part of the body of Christ? It means Unity. Brothers and sisters, if there is not unity in the body of Christ, our message is bogus. You know what bogus means? Fraudulent. If there isn't unity in the body of Christ, we're frauds. The gospel is not true if there's not unity in the body of Christ. That's why Paul says, make every effort. To see that it happens in the body of Christ. That means if you have something against someone else, you go and you deal with it. You don't wait for them. You go because we make every effort to live in unity in the body of Christ. Amen, Pastor Chuck. Recently, someone came up to me and started criticizing a fellow pastor here in town, some pastor of another church in town. I listened. I shouldn't have. I listened. I had a problem with that because, see, I've eaten lunch with that pastor a couple times. I know his heart. I also know that he doesn't do everything right. 
He gets some things wrong, just like me. I've gotten one thing wrong in my life. You know, I understand there's times in our lives we get something wrong. I can say that because Carla's not here today. <laughs> anyway, but I was listening to this, and, and I'm thinking as I'm listening to this, you know, this pastor, maybe what you're saying is true, but this pastor's a brother in Christ. He's just trying, by the grace of God, to do his part to build up the body of Christ. Is he perfect? No. Does he have issues? Probably. But you see what happens, brothers and sisters, is when we talk about or tear down in our conversation any part of the body of Christ, the only one who wins is Satan. The only one who gets any glory in it is Satan. God loses. The body of Christ loses. We all lose when we tear down each other. See, for Paul, it is crucial for the body of Christ to be unified. In here and among the other churches in our community and throughout the world. The body of Christ. It's not us against them. It's us all together against the powers and principalities that Satan throws at us. Amen. See, unity in the body of Christ, is a powerful witness that the gospel is true. Disunity in the body of Christ is a powerful witness that it doesn't work. We can talk till we're blue in the face. But if people know there's not unity in here in the body of Christ, then give us two cents. Forget them. It's not true. It's just talk. You know, this means nothing. Our walk means everything. Our relationship with God means everything. And it translates into unity. In our passage of Scripture this morning, Paul gives what I call some truths, if you will, that can bring unity in the body of Christ, that can facilitate unity in the body of Christ. First of all, Paul calls himself a prisoner for the Lord. Now, I was looking at that this week chewing on it, contemplating it, spending some time with those words, a prisoner for the Lord. And I ask myself, does that have anything to do, or would that have any impact on unity in the body of Christ, if you and I would be prisoners of the Lord, just like Paul said he was? And I came up with this answer. Absolutely it would. Unity comes when you and I are captured by Christ. Unity comes when you and I, brothers and sisters, are prisoners for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means simply this. I belong to God. That's what it means. It's just simple, plain and simple. This is a key concept in the kingdom that God wants you to get and me to get. We are to become prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ. I freely give myself to Him as a prisoner. I fully give myself to Him as a prisoner. It means that I no longer have a right to myself. I give up my rights. Now, I know saying that just grinds some of you body of Christ people right here. I know that some of you just, it just doesn't sound right. I give up my rights? No. I'm not going to give up my rights. I'm going to run my life. 
Well, if that's your attitude, you are not a true part of the body of Christ. Because what the body of Christ, what God expects from the body of Christ, is that you and I come to Him, give ourselves completely to Him and say, Lord, I give up my right to myself. It's all you. You guide my life. You call the shots. What you say I do, I no longer have a right to decide one thing in my life without you. You see, that's what it means by being captured by Christ. Part of the problem in the church today, if you don't mind me saying so, part of the problem in the church today is that we live our lives as cultural Christians. We hang around the church. We live our lives like church people. But we are not captured by Christ. And when that's the fact, when that happens in this body of Christ, there's disunity. Mark it down. Or there will be. In order for there to be unity in the body of Christ, all of us, all of us need to be captured by Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He is now my identity. He is, Jesus is the new face of my life. I am reflecting Him. I pray that I am. I have been crucified. I give up my right to myself. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live. It's Christ who lives in me and through me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The old Chuck has gone. Behold, all things have become new. It's a new Chuck. And he looks like Jesus. Because I've been captured by Christ. Problem in the church today? You're still making most of your decisions. If you're making one, it's too many. We need to be captured by Christ. A prisoner of Christ. A love slave of God. Uh, Join me here going back to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Just for a moment. This is kind of fun. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Way back in the front of the Bible. Way back there. We're going to look at verses 12 through 17. But first of all, verse 1 says this in chapter 15 of Deuteronomy. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Now, there are some verses in the Bible that I, that I just long to live by. And this is one of them. In this, I mean, we could all live by this one, can't we? At the end of every seven years, cancel the debts. Verse 12. If a fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, in the seventh year you must let him go free. And when you release him, do not send him away empty-handed. Supply him liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give him as the Lord God has blessed you. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Verse 16. But if your servant says to you, this person that's been a slave, your slave. If, a, if this servant says to you, I do not want to leave you, even though I can go, 
I don't want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you. Then take an awe and push it through his earlobe on into the door and he will become your servant for life. You see, God, here's the deal. I've been around you long enough to know that I can trust you. (laughs) I've been around you, God, long enough to know that I love you and you love me. I've been around you, God, long enough to know that you give me everything I need for life and godliness as I faithfully follow you each day. I know that that's all true. Therefore, God, would you take my earlobe and would you push your holy awe right through it and mark me for you? Will you claim me, God? Will you make me a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ? I belong to you as a love slave, captured by Christ. What do you think would happen if all God's people would live like that? You see, God, I have decided to follow Jesus. I said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I'm serious about this, Father. Mark me. Claim me. Use me. Whatever you want, it's all okay with me because I'm a prisoner of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you sense that that would make a huge difference in the body of Christ? You know what it would mean, among other things? It would mean that I would give up my right to be right. It would mean that I would give up my right to win. You know what happens? We all want to win. An argument, a discussion, a game, whatever. We all want to win. We all want to be right. The problem with that is, too often in the body of Christ, we work harder and put more effort into winning or being right that in the long term it hurts the body of Christ. Somebody say amen. It hurts the kingdom of God. Yeah, I'm right, but so what? God loses. You see, it's not about me being right. It's about God living His life in me and through me and Him getting the glory for all. I don't have to be right. Do you know, as Jesus hung on the cross, the whole world looked at him and said, you were dead wrong. You know how humiliating it was that for him to be hanging naked on the cross in front of everybody? This guy that claimed to be the son of God, he was wrong. He didn't work. Another fraud. See, he didn't have to be right in the eyes of people like us. He had to be right in God's eyes. And God used that to save the world. See, I don't have to be right. I don't have to prove to you that I'm right. What I have to prove to you is that I love you with the love of the Lord. There's unity in that, brothers and sisters. The body of Christ is a bunch of people who are captured by Christ. When I get my way, when I fight to get my way, 
in the body of Christ, Satan dances a jig and says, I did it again, I did it again, I got him again, or whatever a jig looks like. Unity comes when you and I are captured by Christ. Paul says in verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, what's this calling business? What is this calling we have received? When the New Testament, when it talks about calling, almost every time it refers to salvation or or a personal relationship with Christ, calling us to a personal, close relationship with Christ. It's God's strong invitation to follow Jesus and to accept His lifestyle, His way of life. One quick example is in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, God called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Worthy of the calling you have received. The calling to a radical faith in Jesus Christ. A calling to be someone that the world will sit up and take notice of because we are loving each other and caring for each other and we are unified Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling and to this radical faith in Jesus Christ that is upon your life. Unity comes when we are faithful and consistent to our calling. Paul then goes on to explain what a worthy life might look like in verse 2. Now this, brothers and sisters, is heavy. Verse 2 says this. Be completely humble. And gentle. Do you sense any wiggle room in there? Be completely humble and gentle. There's no room in the body of Christ for arrogance. There's no room in the body of Christ for heavy handedness. We are to be completely humble and gentle with each other. Ripping people apart doesn't happen in the body of Christ. We're completely humble. And gentle. We don't have to win. We've given up our rights to ourselves to God. We're completely humble and gentle. Can you imagine what that would look like in your house, in our house, or in our world? Being part of the body of Christ, it says, Paul says, is being patient. Living a life worthy of our calling is being patient. It's a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. What would our world be like if we were more patient with each other? Bearing with one another in love. God, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Bearing one another in love. What does that look like in your family, in ours, and in our world? Pastor Chuck, someone might say, it's just too much. It's too much. I can't do it. It's too heavy. I can't do it. That's why Paul threw in verse 7. Verse 7 says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Here's what happens. Jesus looks down upon us, and He looks at you, and He notices that you need more grace today than I do. And so He gives it to you. He apportions it to you. He looks over to you and says, you don't need as much today as you did yesterday. So he apportions it to you. My Bible tells me that God's grace is sufficient for us. 
No matter what you're going through, God's grace is sufficient. Whatever is weighing on you right now, God's grace is sufficient for that. Whatever's eaten at you right now, God's grace is sufficient for that. Whatever is attacking you right now, God's grace is sufficient for that. God's grace is sufficient for your day. God's grace is sufficient for your night. The Bible says, plain and simple, God's grace is sufficient. And when you need more grace, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. Oh, His grace is sufficient for me. And His love is abundant and free. Oh, what joy fills my heart just to know, just to know that His grace is sufficient for me. The Bible tells us that unity in the body of Christ comes because of God's grace. Finally, unity comes. This is, this is one I couldn't wait to get to. I just wanted to say this today. Unity comes when you and I grow up. <laughs> I couldn't wait to say that. Shame on me. Unity comes when you and I grow up. Look at verses 11 through 15. It was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are unified as we all together are involved in the basics. Studying God's Word, praying, being involved in service, loving each other. We are unified when we are involved in a growing faith. When our faith is stagnant, there's disunity. When there's growing faith, there's unity. Growing faith. Growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Make every effort Paul says. Do something about it. Start today. Make every effort to live in unity. I know it's hot. I might need to change my shirt when I go home. (laughs) But you know what, brothers and sisters? We are called the body of Christ. That's the label that we wear. The body of Christ. Are we really? Do we love God with all our hearts? Do we love and serve each other? Do we share our stuff? Do we share our time? Do we share our faith? Is there unity in here that you can smell? I shouldn't have used that word today, I guess. Is there unity in here that you can notice? That's the body of Christ. As we close our service this morning, I just want us to pray. 
We have a lot to pray for. And one of the things I want to pray for is unity in the body of Christ. Not just this body, but the wider body of Christ in our community and in our world. Perhaps there's something that you need to do in, in order to make every effort to help unity come into this body of Christ. If that's true, come and kneel and pray to God and ask Him to help you take that step. I've also asked Anna. Anna, why don't you come here? Come up forward, Anna, and kneel here.